right. Good morning, church. How we doing? Everybody in the lobby, good morning. Glad you're here. Glad you're getting coffee and cookies and donuts. If you get here early, there's more donuts. Uh, otherwise, you're left to like the crumbs. Uh, Anyway, we're glad you're here and worshiping with us. It's fall. Do you feel that in the air? It feels amazing. Yes, the colors are changing. Some of you live more in the mountains and you're getting snow. We're not interested in that yet, um, but we are interested in the different colors of the trees and bushes. It's just absolutely gorgeous, so I hope and pray that you're enjoying that. Uh, we've been in this series that we have creatively titled Second Peter uh, because we're studying Second Peter. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles or your phone, or if you don't have one of those, we have several Bibles in the seats in front of you. I would love for you to open up to the book of Second Peter and at least just have it on your lap. Uh, we don't believe in osmosis, but we do believe in the power of God to speak through his word. So at least just open it and have it in your lap. I'm so appreciative if you were here last week, you heard my good friend Mark uh, deliver what is, is just a, a tough passage, and it's a difficult book. Uh, a lot of people won't preach on Second Peter because it's just hard plowing. Uh, there's not a lot of hope until the end, and Mark did an outstanding uh, job. If you missed last week, um, then please go back, jump on our website. Uh, you can catch up on all the different ser uh, messages for this series and others. And this morning doesn't get any easier, so I'm just going to pre-warn you on that. It, it, it's not like we've turned a corner. Uh, we will next week, uh, but... Uh, this week, not so much yet, because tolerance has become a top virtue in our culture. Uh, it is the most recognized, it is the most championed, it is the most highlighted, it is the most cheered. Tolerance, tolerance, uh, tolerance, and it smacks against the church any, any even remnant of judgment or criticism, especially of those who claim to be evangelicals, uh, then you're uh, judged even harder than your judgment. I often hear this mantra, they will know that we are Christians by our love, not by our doctrinal correctedness uh, or correctness. Anybody ever heard something even remotely like that? Like, we just need to love. We just, like, they'll know if we just love them. Well, if that were the case, we would see a sweeping uh, change in the world around us. It's not necessarily true. And I couldn't disagree with that more because the implication is that love and right doctrine are mutually exclusive. And, and I challenge that. I completely stand against that. I believe you can have great, correct doctrine calling a spade a spade what's right and wrong in our world and love. You can do both. Jesus was a prime example of that. So in contrast of our culture's emphasis on being nice to anyone who even remotely refers to themselves as a Christian, no matter what they teach, the Holy Spirit chose to prop, uh, plop right into our lap uh, the second ch chapter of Second Peter. And it would have been nice if we didn't have the second chapter of Second Peter, because then we wouldn't have to address that. But we do, and there's a reason uh, for that. And in case we missed it, uh, the Spirit virtually repeats itself when the book of Jude is written, uh, especially verses uh, 8 through 9. 
Uh, and so what we need to do is continue to walk together delicately but with confidence. Does that make sense to all of us? Uh, delicately but with absolute confidence. When I was a police officer, when things got slow, and they rarely did, but when they got slow, we had uh, most wanted posters, uh, about 10 people that were on there, and it was primarily our county and our state. And so I would just sit in my patrol car, and I would just memorize faces. I, I, I often will forget names, but I remember eyes that uh, each. Is that weird? Anyway, I remember eyes. So I would just study these faces so that in case I pulled a car over or saw someone on the street, I would recognize them and then I could be safe. And so in both Second Peter and Jude, we get this kind of extended portrait, if you would, for, for a reason, for us to memorize so that we can identify almost like America's Most Wanted. Do you guys remember that show? Uh, I always really enjoyed that. Uh, I remember as a kid watching that and thinking, if I see them, and then I didn't, really didn't know what the next part was. Uh, like, if I see them, then what? I didn't think that through. Um, but we have this extended portrait in the book of Second Peter on false teachers and in the book of Jude so that we can recognize them when we interact with them. Because a lot of times what happens is we don't recognize it until it's too late. We've already been influenced. We've already been led astray. And, and, and we've done a really good job in this series not uh, naming churches and not naming individuals. And we'll continue to do that. That does no good for us. But I, I think you understand where we're going. Is there in, in our lifetime, there has been plenty of false teachers who have created mass followings under the guise of godliness, and they are truly wolves in sheep clothing. So that's what we're trying to do, and that's what Peter wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be cut off guard by these false teachers. So this morning, Peter's go Peter is going to describe the character of these teachers. Why? Why does he want us to, to know the character. And the reason is very important because we need to understand their motives. We need to understand false teachers' motives. If you've read the Bible from cover to cover, you know that eventually things are going to keep getting worse. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be doctrine. Notice doctrine is in the secular world as well, but it's going to be a false doctrine. It's going to be very, very closely tied to the scriptures, but it's going to be just enough, much like if you shoot a, a rocket from Earth, a space shuttle or, or, or some kind of satellite, if you're even a tenth of a degree or a sixteenth or a a thousand of a sixteenth degree off, you're not going to hit your mark. And the same thing with bad teaching. And so that's what Peter wants us to be aware of. So we begin in, and I'm not going to make you jump up and down because we're going to read several different passages. So sit tight, snuggle in, enjoy yourself. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting at 10b. And this is what it said, bold and arrogant, again, coming off on the heels of, of Mark's great message last week, talking about these false teachers, and now we're getting the description. They're bold and arrogant. These men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. We'll talk about that. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. You might say they know better, and you'd be right. But these men blasphemy in matters that they do not understand. We see that all over our world. They're like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. 
and like beasts, they too will perish. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for their harm that they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. I told you it's not very fun, um, but this first description given to these false teachers, if you're into underlining and circling and and taking notes, uh, part of what we see is that they're brazen, they're bold, they're ignorant, they're proud, and they're self-sufficient. Sounds like someone you'd want to hang out with, right? Probably not. The reality is that's hidden because their words are so convincing. We see Peter talk about this uh, in verse 16 of chapter one. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. In other words, charismatic, wonderful sounding logic. It's hidden behind unhealthiness. And Peter says that these people are so arrogant that they not only speak slanderous words against human beings, they go after the divine. Now, I don't know what kind of pride, boldness, courage it it takes to start slandering the divine. I'm assuming it takes quite a bit of thinking uh, a lot of yourself. But that is what they do. They speak slanderous words against the angelic. They literally will speak slanderous words against anyone, anywhere of any kind. But even the angels who are greater in might and power, the Bible says, then these false teachers are not so brazen that they would do such a thing in the presence of God. And that alone gives us a little insight on what it means for us personally. What will you do in the presence of God? We know this. We tell our kids all the time, God is always what? He's always watching. More than Santa, but he's always watching. What are you willing to do in the presence of God? That's been super convicting for me all work. I, all week, I mean it to be convicting for you to, to have this self-examination. What are you willing to do in the presence of God? Statistically, we're willing to do a lot. And that is something that we need to wrestle with. I mentioned it earlier, Jude uh, verses eight through nine. Uh, Jude is just one letter. Uh, really, all the books were just one letter. We added a bunch of chapters and verses, but nevertheless, uh, this is so short. But Jude eight and nine, and, and this follows very closely in parallel to Second Peter. And this is probably referring to the fallen spiritual beatings, including Satan himself. But even these angels who are even of greater power won't bring slanderous words. And here we learn an important characteristic about the false teachers to be on watch for. They are number one slanderers. If you're taking notes, there's gonna be three sections that we talk about. They are complainers. They are slanderers. These are people who always have something bad to say or about someone. They're just always having something negative. And if you find someone that in a spiritual setting, and and Mark talked about this last week of like, hey, you don't have, I don't give you the right to speak into my life if you kind of cross these lines. And I think that's important, especially for for some of you younger middle school, high school, college students, or, or even some of you who are adults, you'll inevitably possibly move away and start looking for a church. If you find someone that's in a leader Leadership that is always negative, always slamming, always looking on the, the Eeyore side of life, if you would, then you've got to watch out for these people. Because slandering and complaining are completely against God's heart. 
Now, you might go, yeah, those false teachers, those, those complainers, those negative Nellies, those, those people. Well, let me make it again a little bit more personal. How much do you complain? <laughs> how, how much do you slander? Uh, and, and you might go, I don't slander anybody who I love. Awesome. Okay. Uh, how about someone you see on the news? Uh, I think if we were to ask for a show of hands, we've all slandered over the last couple of years politically in some form of another, right? And so Peter is, is doing an, a marvelous job teaching because he's not just saying beware of all these false teachers, but take a very close look at your own heart. Slandering and complaining are not part of God's character. The second description given to these false, false teachers is they act like animals. I'm not talking middle school boys. True animals. They lack reason and truth. And if you think of an animal, an animal lacks reason and truth. They're, they're, animals don't operate on ultimate truth. Humans do. Does that make sense? Animals are not subjected to that. And so they act on impulses and popular thought rather than God-given knowledge. This is yet another danger for Christ followers. Why is that important? Because especially in our times, but it's nothing new for us, people will constantly come up with very convincing logic. It just makes sense. It makes sense up here, and therefore, because it makes sense, it's got, there's got to be truth to it. And yet, that very well might be true. However, you've got to compare it against the backdrop of Scripture. Because just because something makes sense to us here in this world doesn't mean it's truth in the realm of principalities. Follow me? So that's an important aspect for us. They lack restraint. It's the scriptures say they are sinning even in broad daylight. That is someone who, who throws caution to the wind and doesn't even try to cover it up, doesn't even try to be sneaky with sin. They're just sinning in the presence of other believers. They enjoy telling lies, deceiving others. They claim to have knowledge but slander from a position of ignorance. This is Peter's heart. I wish I could dress it up a little bit more, but it's just not there in the text. And it's not there in the text because Peter is seeing believer after believer after believer fall to these evil false teachers whose sole intent is to distract them from the king of kings with something, remember we talked about this several weeks ago, of heresy, and heresy is an option. It's something closely related to that these false teachers are really trying to dissuade and deceive and to convince with distraction. What we see is that false teachers also, and this is the third point, they lack shame. If you're near someone and, and they're in leadership over you in, in a religious atmosphere, a church atmosphere, uh, Christ following, whether it's a campus ministry or church, if you're near someone who lacks shame, be careful of those who are sinning in broad daylight. They're not concerned about their sin. They'll use the God died on the cross for my sin card nonstop. God died for me. God died for me. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Therefore, I can virtually do anything. And that's bad theology. 
Verse 13 reveals the deeper danger, if you want to look at that. They will be paid back with their harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in the broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveal, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Here's the scary part. These aren't people who are away from Christian sex. These aren't individuals who are, are, are holding seances and doing satanic worship in the fields. These are people who are mingling in the Christian family. And so there's a danger there. And, and Peter wants us to be aware of that. They're eating meals together as fellowship. They're acting like they care about you because they've joined with you. However, they are delighting in their deceptions to trick you. Their intent, someone's screaming, their intent is to deceive and they'll do a good job of that because they are empowered by a power of this world. Well, that's happy. That's, that's just a, a great way to start our morning. But it's there for a reason. You have to be careful of who influences your life. You have to be careful who you read. You have to be careful who you listen to on podcasts. You have to be careful uh, who you hang around, who influences your life, who you allow, as Mark talked about, to speak truth into your life and speak influence in your life. You have to be careful. And I'm not just speaking to the younger generation, although that is my, my heart's desire, is please, please, please be careful. Second Peter chapter two, let's now go to verse 14, 14 through 16. Here's what it says. With eyes full of adultery, still talking about these individuals, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. We're gonna get to Balaam here in a second. If you wanna throw your thumb in 2 Peter and open to Numbers chapter 22, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, that's completely okay. It can be a little confusing navigating through the scriptures. Uh, if you go towards the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then there's Numbers uh, towards the beginning of the Bible, and then chapter 22, we'll get to that here in just a second. These false teachers engage in unashamed indulgences. Uh, you know, a lot of what Peter is doing here, he does a masterful job in doing this. He's merging uh, the gospel importance with uh, moral uh, dilemmas because that's what's happening. These false teachers and the sin that's corrupting is, is in large part a moral issue. And so he's addressing these. These people claim to be Christians, but they have eyes full of adultery. They are not trained for godliness, but they're trained for greed. Now, often when we think about greed, we go money. Let me expand your view of greed. Greed can be anything. 
Uh, greed could be power. Uh, for, for me, well, I'm not even going to tell you what my greed is. I'm just going to talk about yours. Uh, but it could, but it, could be, it could be money. It could be food. It could be tattoos. It could be guns. Uh, it could be vacations. It could be cars. It, it could be anything. Are you, are you guys with me? It could be sex. It could be substances, whatever it might be. And these are individuals, they're trained not for godliness. They're trained for more greed. They cannot get enough. And the danger is not for their own souls, but for the souls of others. Because what this is one of the worst, in my opinion, one of the worst verses in the scripture. Not worse in the sense of God did something wrong. Worse in the sense it's really hard to read. These false teachers seduce the unstable. They prey on the weak. They go after those who are mentally, emotionally, sexually, physically weak. And they prey on them. That makes my blood boil. As a protector, that makes my blood boil. That someone would prey on the weak. They're seeking out these weak individuals in the faith and trying to sweep them away to follow their own teachings. Now, to see how these false teachers act like animals, Peter brings up the example of Balaam. These false teachers have gone their own way, leaving the right path of God. Instead, they have followed the ways of Balaam. So here's a great story. We don't have time to read the entire book of Numbers and especially this entire chapter, um, but Peter recalls uh, a story of the prophet who wanted to pronounce curses on Israel so that the king of Moab would pay him. And so he wanted to be a prophet for hire, coming up with his own words. Now, to be a prophet, you have to be assigned. You can't just declare yourself a prophet, right? Uh, again, the, our culture hadn't reached them yet. Nowadays, you could just self-identify as a prophet, uh, you can't. And you couldn't back then, you couldn't now. You had to be assigned by God to be a prophet. But we read in this story that he wanted to be a prophet, and so he came up with his own words. He came up with his own mission, and we're going to read about what happens. First, glasses. Uh, let's go to uh, Numbers chapter 22, starting in verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled on his donkey, much like most of you did to get here today, and went with the princes of Moab. Notice, he's right there with them. Like, hey, I'm just one of the guys. I'm with the princes, right? He saddles up and, and he gets on his donkey and goes with the princes. Verse 22, but God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Now, literally, we could do an entire sermon series on this story, but I just want to give you two things. Number one, when you operate outside of God's will, he gets angry. Let's, let's not uh, make God out to be this God who just holds lambs and, and is just so mushy-gushy. He does have an angry side when we go out of his will, especially if we're going out of his will to do his works. So make sure you're listening. Number two, uh, you never know when you might interact with an angel, so be careful. I, I thought about this week after reading this over and over and over, and one of the days I just found myself looking for an angel. Uh, so at the grocery store, I'm like, mm, no, no, not an angel. And I don't know what an angel looks like. I don't know what, what they would sound like, but I kept just analyzing. I'm sure I creeped some people out. But nevertheless, let's continue. 
And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she, female donkey, awesome, turned off the road into a field. Here's where it gets fun. Balaam beat her to get back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. She should have pushed it even harder. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she then just laid down under Balaam, and he was angry, and so he beat her with his staff. Verse 28, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, which I don't know says more about Balaam or the donkey. Like if you go home today and, and, and you see a squirrel and the squirrel goes, hey, how come you're not feeding me? And you go, well, I mean, t- finances are tight. And you interact like you. Make sure someone videos that. Verse 29, Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have r- always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. Verse 35, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Speak only what I tell you. That is one of the most convicting passage, ending passages for a preacher. Because every Sunday that I have the pleasure and the honor of standing before you, or if Alex does, or, or Dan does, or Mark uh, we have the responsibility to speak only what God puts on our heart for us to say. That's why we ask on a regular basis, please pray for whoever's preaching. Because the reality is you don't need to hear from me. I don't have much to offer you. You don't need to hear from Alex. You do need to hear from the Lord. You do need his wisdom. And if you go anywhere, if you're at a campus ministry or church and and you are hearing the wisdom of man, run. Run hard 
and fast. This is the emphasis that Peter places on the story. These teachers throughout Asia Minor are like Balaam who do not go the way of reason. They're not going down the right path of God. They're not on the straight path. They've gone rogue, if you would. They speak what they wish and not the words of God. They come up with their own stuff. They have a platform, and they're gonna use it for personal gain, these false teachers. And Peter would say, don't be senseless like these false teachers who are trying to deceive you. Stay on the right path. Younger individuals in the room, younger individuals who are joining us online, or young Christians in the faith, I beg of you, stay on the right path. Because if you get off of it, and we should probably have a a Wizard of Oz uh, video clip here, if you stay on the yellow brick road, if you stay on God's path, life is a lot safer in terms of the principalities, not safer in what God might choose to do in and through you. Because his his path always leads to hope, always leads to life, and it always leads to goodness. Quick little plug for life groups. One of the greatest things for a life group is to help you do that, is to help pull you back in. When you start drifting away and go, eh, maybe I don't want to go to church, maybe I don't want to get involved, that your life group can help pull you back in. So that's just a, a quick plug. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're now in verses 17 through 19. These men are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. That is incredibly important, so make sure you underline that. We'll come back. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful nature, here we go, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Just keeps getting better, doesn't it? These false teachers offer great promises. We see this often in prosperity gospel. And yet they're empty. They lack of substance and results. The Bible says they're like waterless springs in the desert. And and this doesn't mean much to us. I mean, sometimes we run out of water here because we're on a well, which we're working on it. But water is so easily accessible for us. We have several water spigots out there. You can go get a glass and you can drink to your heart's desire. And if we run out of those, we've got like 12 more jugs in the stairway. We can just replace those. If you're thirsty, driving down the road, you can pull over into any kind of gas station, convenience store, grocery store, and go get yourself uh, some water. We can go to the refrigerator. We can go to the faucet. But to these people, walking in ancient Palestine, a waterless spring was a disaster. Think about it this way. If, if you're driving, uh, let's, let's grab Kansas or Nebraska. You drive through one of those states and you're like, please, dear God, don't let us break down. I just got to get to the next gas station or I got to get to the next bathroom. Oh, there's a bathroom up, you know, 12 more miles. And you're like, I hope we can get there. I hope, yeah, just hold it, just hold it. And you're telling your kids just to hold it. Now imagine you get there and the bathroom's closed. 
Or, you, or you, you get there and the gas station's closed and you were counting on it. That is exactly what's happening in ancient Palestine. You need water in the heat of the desert and you finally find your wellspring, your watering spring, and as you approach, you find out there's no water there. It's a false hope and it's devastating to the soul. That is exactly what happens with false teaching. You get excited, you get pulled in, you get promised riches, it's just gonna be amazing, and then you fall flat on your face, and there's nothing there. Some of you maybe have been caught up in a pyramid scheme here and there, which I'm not gonna unpack, because no need to divide the room. But it's the, it's the, the promise, promise, promise. Promises, just, just nothing but promises, and then you get there and you find out there's nothing there. They promise spiritual freedom, but it's causing people to become more enslaved to their own sin. Peter says they're not making you free, but they're chaining you up to your passions and desires. And I think this is a useful teaching for us to consider. Often, there's a question concerning whether an activity is sin or not. It often happens in youth group. Uh, students will go, well, is this a sin? How about this? Is this a sin? And adults do it too. We just don't articulate it. We do it inside. We go, well, I'm going to get as close as I can and I'm still not sinning, still not sinning. Whoa, that's sin. I'll stop right here. And that's what we do. We ask the question, is this a sin or not? We usually try and find the thou shalt not in the scriptures to either justify our actions or to give us an answer. But notice what Peter says. We are enslaved to anything that has mastered us. Anything. If you're in a life group, and I, and I beg you to join one, one of the discussion questions in the life group for this week is, What have you done in your life to avoid being mastered by something? We don't have you share that. We don't want you thinking, I'm not going to a life group because they're gonna make me share what I've been mastered. No, we're, what we are gonna ask is, what have you learned along the way to help you not be mastered so that we can learn from each other? This is a hard verse, you guys. And if you're bold and courageous enough, you have to answer it. What has mastered you? What has enslaved you? If we're going to do the hard work to grow closer to Jesus, then we've got to be willing to step in to the difficult questions. Because, friends, we cannot allow our, our minds, our bodies to become enslaved to anything in this physical world. We cannot be overcome by chemicals, food, drinks, sensuality, money, prestige, power, experiences, or anything else because then it means we're enslaved to it. 
And therefore, we're not, as Peter describes and Paul, we're not bondservants to God because we know this, as, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved to anything. The Bible also says you cannot serve two masters. And you see that thing that you're thinking about right now in your life? And I hope you are. I hope you're thinking about that thing. It could be your kids. Your kids have enslaved you. It means it occupies all your thought. What are we gonna do for our next vacation? What's gonna be the next purchase? What am I gonna do for my career? How am I gonna make my life better? Those things can enslave you and they're not sinful by themselves. But they can cross a line. And that thing, we have to work to make sure we're not enslaved to it because then it will become sin. Does that make sense? So it's work, it's work, it's work. Finally, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. <clears throat> if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Tough verse here. It would have been better for them not to have known the right way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Verse 22, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. That's fun. The last three verses of 2 Peter chapter 2 are troubling for some. <clears throat> it's often a discussion, especially if they're taken out of context. They, they will inevitably raise the question, can a believer lose their salvation? Can a, can a follower of Jesus walk away from his or her faith? Now, here's what I'll say about this. It's very helpful to read this section, and I would argue all of Scripture in its totality. Do not pick Scriptures. That is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Don't, don't pick things out. And this one is a perfect example because we must read this in the context of all of chapter 2 as well as all of not only Second Peter, but this time last year during COVID, we did First Peter. And if you read this verse in the context of Peter's letter, then it makes a whole lot more sense. And of course, if you include the entire scriptures, then that gives you even more direction. The first question is, who is Peter referring to? Who are these people who have escaped the defilements and the corruptions of the world? We read about this in the beginning of 1 Peter. It's possible that Peter is referring to the false teachers that he has been condemning in part, but it seems also more likely, and according to most scholars, that he has in mind the ones who these false teachers are leading astray. That's what we're going to talk about as we close this seems to suggest a less mature, newer, or less experienced believer. Notice, I didn't say follower, believer. Uh, or those who were just hearing the gospel but were still uncommitted. 
That's who we're talking about. In verse 18, if you look at that, Peter wrote that the false teachers were enticing those who were barely escaping from error. These are the ones who had left the world. They had come into a community of faith. They had come into the church. They had heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, that's just not enough. Look at James chapter 2, verse 19. Here's what it says. You believe that there is one God. Good. So another version will say, good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. And James makes it clear in other, other parts in Scripture that intellectual knowledge is not the same as saving faith. That's really, really important. If you want a great example, uh, carve out some time and go downtown Boulder and sit with some of our homeless friends that we get the pleasure to serve. They will talk about Jesus and, and religion all day long. But saving faith is something different. It seems most likely that Peter is referring to those who were attracted to the gospel and yet still had not come to full faith in him yet. If they had been saved, what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.5 would apply to them. They would have been shielded or, or guarded through their faith and by God's power until the day of salvation. Instead, as John wrote in 1 John 2.19, he describes some people that are just like what's being described here. He says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. These are not someone who went to another church like we do in our culture, shop around churches. These are people who just left the church. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Now, these people distracted and enticed by the false teachers are worse off than before. They had begun to escape the sinful corruption of the world. They had begun to associate with a community of believers, and then they were fooled by the false teachers in participating and practicing their own sinful habits. It's like you see in the mafia movies. I, I got out, and I just got pulled right back in. And that's what sin does. Some of you know that, and if that's you this morning, let me just encourage you. There, there is so much grace. There is so much forgiveness. There is so much of this personalness to God that it does not matter if you've drifted away, if sin has enticed you, if it's pulled you away, let God pull you back because he is stronger than he who's pulling on the other end. It's true. Do not have a defeatist mindset. You are not defeated. You are powerful because of the one who's pulling back on the other end. You can do it. There's hope. But Peter warns, don't stop. You've, you've gone into the faith, don't stop, go more. Because if you stop, that's where things get a little bit dangerous, especially for brand new Christians. Keep going, keep investigating, keep reading, keep talking with other men and women who are of the faith. Keep going because if you stop, you might be worse off than before. It's like taking antibiotics. The doctors, what does the doctor always say? Here's your set of antibiotics. Make sure what? 
Yeah, make sure you finish it all. And they tell you that like several times. And the reason is because there are not very smart individuals who did not heed the warning. And what happens if you don't take the full set of antibiotics? Yeah, you get more sick than when you needed the antibiotics. And that's Peter's point. It'd be better if you just didn't know because you're gonna lose out on the hope that you're aware of. You're gonna lose out on the grace you've heard of. You're gonna lose out on the mercy that's totally available to you at all times. We're gonna worship and as we do, I wanna give you some encouragement. I wanna give you something to think about as we get ready to worship. Second Peter could have been titled warnings. They titled it the same that we did or vice versa. They probably titled it first. But it could have been called warnings. You guys remember the old Lost in Space? Any old Lost in Space fans? Be, admit it, Josh, seriously, thank you. Some of you are like, ah, I kind of am, but am I gonna be viewed? Y'all are. Warning, 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 Will Robinson, and the arms going crazy. That's 2 Peter. Why the warnings? Because this is not a game. There were people who were pulled astray that said, never will I. Does that sound like Peter? Yeah. I will never deny you, Lord. Here I am. You see, none of us ever decide we're going to get a divorce. None of us decide we're going to cheat on our spouse. None of us ever decide we're going to become an alcoholic. None of us ever decide we're going to be addicted to porn or alcohol or drugs. And none of us ever decide we're going to be led astray by false teaching. None of you woke up with that ambition. Which is why Peter's writing, be careful, be careful, be careful. Be careful who we listen to. Be careful who we follow. Be careful of who we emulate our lives off of. Be careful how we spend our time and our money. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Because all of this and what you're about to go do, live your life today and throughout the entire week, what you're about to go do matters. You matter. Every single one of you matters to God. Your faith, your relationship with God deeply matters to him. He loves you more than words can express. And if we knew, if we really knew, if, if we could tap in to the full breadth of knowledge of how much God loves us, we would never be prone to wander. And because of 2 Peter, and we're not done, we got three more weeks, you're now more educated and more aware of what false teaching looks like, sounds like, tastes like. And so stay close to the Lord. Stay on his path. Get others around you that will help you stay on that path. Keep Jesus at the forefront of your, of your sights and don't drop your eyes. Don't wander off into the world. 
Why? Because the world looks really good. I'm trying to eat better. When I walked by our hospitality table today, I just wanted to take the tray of donuts and, and eat all of them. <laughs> Not one. All of them. You guys, if you don't come at 8.30, then you don't get any. Like, that was my mindset. Why? Because they look good. And the world looks so good. It's pleasures. It's logic. It's enticement. It's arguments. It's worldview. It looks and sounds so good. But stay close to God as you navigate this world because as beautiful and as enticing as it looks, it's dangerous. Abide in me, says the Lord, and I will abide in you. Stay close with, walk with, speak to, and protect you. That's one of the promises that Alex and the team led us in. And all of his promises are yes and amen. Let's pray together. Lord, on one hand, we could, uh, we could view Second Peter, especially chapter 2, as really, really hard. And why did you put it in there? And, and why did you word it the way that you did? And on the other side, we could say, wow, you love us so much that you put Peter in there, and especially chapter 2, because you love us. Because what father doesn't warn his kids? What, what father doesn't shoot straight with his kids in the warning because he loves them, he wants the best for them. And you, you emulate the epitome of the father's heart. And you give us such a great example for those of us who are fathers to do that to our kids, to give warnings, gentle and stern and firm and confusing warnings. But you give them to us. And so I want to thank you. Man, there are so many zingers in chapter 2 that we could focus on. May we not be mastered by anything. May our eyes be attuned to the portrait of the false teacher who chooses to lead us astray. May we be a church, may we be a family that prides ourselves not on convicting truth and not just on love, but on both. That we might love with our convictions. And may we wrestle with that. What does that look like? May our life groups be strengthened and filled, protect our leaders as they lead us as a family. Thank you for the beauty of the scriptures. Thank you for the personalness of it. And thank you for the eternal gift of worship that we get to participate not only here on this side of heaven, but for eternity. Your grace and your mercy is beyond our wildest comprehension. And so we do what only we can and say thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Would you please stand and let's worship.